Welcome to The Art of Medicine, the program that explores the arts, business, and clinical aspects of the practice of medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Wilner. As a physician, I see death related to cigarette smoking every day. With all the other health threats in the world, the risks of smoking often don't make the front page. However, according to the CDC, cigarette smoking causes almost half a million deaths in the U.S. each year. More than motor vehicle accidents, firearms, alcohol, and illegal drug use combined. Once people start smoking, it can be difficult to stop in large part because of the addictive nature of nicotine. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Brian Quigley. Brian is the CEO of Kenovia, a company with a unique approach to help people stop smoking. But before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, locumstory.com. If you're considering locum tenens, either full-time or on the side, you probably have a question or two, or 20. Fortunately, locumstory.com has the answers you need. It's packed with unbiased information and advice from physicians like you. Locumstory.com has nothing to sell. It's simply a resource for information. You'll find super handy tools that let you see locums trends for your specialty, compare different locums agencies, and there's even a quiz to help you decide if locums is right for you. Locumstory.com is the perfect place to start if you want to learn more about locums. And now, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Brian Quigley to the program. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dr. Wellner. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, I'm thrilled. I learned about you and your company just a little bit. So why don't you fill us in, tell us what your background is and uh, how you're trying to change the world. Sure. Um, so actually, so Cunovia, we're a venture-backed, a, a pharmaceutical development company that's focused on developing a portfolio of inhaled therapeutics across a host of indication areas. And our lead asset is an application to FDA Center for Drug Evaluation and Research to be the first inhalable prescription smoking cessation therapy. And which is kind of interesting, you know, my background, actually, I spent 16 years um, as a business leader at one of the major um, U.S. tobacco companies. And one of the things that, you know, really I find is a, is a shortcoming of innovation in, in medicine as it relates to the death and disease caused by smoking, as you referenced, it almost seems like we're numb to the fact that smoking continues to be the leading cause of preventable death and disease. And, you know, the real problem we're trying to solve is the fact that of the 40 million smokers in America, half of them will try to quit this year. And the number one way in 2023 that those smokers try to quit remains cold turkey because the therapies that are available to them really are not effective at helping address all of the challenges of, of uh, the addiction behavioral aspects, the physiological aspects that they struggle with. And so our therapy, we believe, really represents uh, a potential breakthrough to help those smokers quit more effectively. Right. I've been amazed personally, you know, as, as a physician working in the hospital of the, the devastating long-term effects of cigarettes. You know, everyone knows, I think, that cigarette smoking can cause lung cancer, right? That's pretty well established. I think that's out there in the community. And 
I think the Marlboro man even uh, succumbed you know, to lung cancer, kind of ironically. But cigarette smoking has effects on uh, blood vessels throughout the body. And so we see premature heart attacks. It's a risk factor for stroke. I'm a neurologist. So we see a lot of smoke, a lot of strokes due to smoke. And of course, it's hard to undo if you've had, oh, I just smoke a pack a day, but it's, we talk in pack years. Well, for the last 30 years, 40 years, I smoke, you know, one to two packs a day. So that's 50, 60, 70 pack, you know, years. Well, that all adds up and it, uh, the blood vessels really don't like all that smoke. Plus the thousand other chemicals or so that are in cigarettes. So guess, you know, the real question is why do people start smoking in the first place? Right. And it's just kind of mysterious why there are still cigarette companies uh, making these things. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, yeah. Tell me, tell me. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I can't answer why do people start smoking? Um, but you know, it is, it is really, you know, fascinating. I think, you know, the, the entire challenge that exists in the space I think there's also a lot of misconceptions. You know, a lot of the times you you hear about, oh, the the reductions in incidence of smoking and, and people in public health hold that up as a sign that, you know, regulations, um, higher prices and taxation are having an effect. But the reality is what, what people are, are missing is, well, the population has grown. So even though incidence of smoking has come down over the last 20 years, for the last around the same 15 to 20 years, the absolute number of smokers in the US has, has re remained relatively constant at 40 million. So, you know, to me, you know, I think there really two things have to happen. You know, there has to be a continued push for more regulation. And we're seeing that now with FDA proposing things like menthol bans. Um, obviously there was uh, a nicotine standard proposed, which I think, you know, we'll see how that plays out. But those, those regulations will really not have the attended effect unless from a broader policy perspective, there are truly effective therapies to help those smokers quit. Um, it's not just making the products more expensive because to your point, you know, when, when you have addiction behavior, um, you know, <laughs> people will pay the price, you know, physically and out of their pocket, you know, to buy those products. And so, you know, for those increased regulations to have the effect, there has to be a portfolio of medically safe and proven effective cessation therapies beyond what's available to those smokers today. So when those products get pulled off the market or as those regulations get passed, there's an off-ramp for those smokers to break the chains of, of addiction. And, and, and that's what we're focused on trying to help, help accomplish. Um, and that's how we really will make big progress as a society of reducing the death and disease and hopefully eliminating the death, death and disease caused by smoking. Okay, so tell me more about QNovia and what what is this product that you're, it's not FDA approved yet, right? But the goal is to make it an FDA approved prescription treatment for people who literally are addicted to uh, nicotine through cigarettes. Is that correct? That is correct. So a little bit more about the product itself. What, what, um, what we're doing and what's unique is we have an underlying technology to deliver a medically safe aerosol that can be inhaled. And this is indeed a nicotine replacement ther therapy, right? So today, those nicotine replacement therapies are the gums and the patches 
that deliver lower levels of nicotine that smokers use to help you know, deal with their withdrawal symptoms and titrate their use over time to ultimately stop smoking and stop using nicotine altogether. But what's really novel and unique is this. You know, what I'm holding here, this is a vibrating mesh nebulizer. Um, this is a, you know, medically, medically safe um, and designed cartridge, which has a, a vibrating mesh nebulizer, which is a proven medical technology for delivering drugs to the lung. Um, and it contains our proprietary drug product formulation, which does contain nicotine. Um, but this is plugged into a base unit with software and hardware that helps is programmed to titrate a user's exposure and use over 12 weeks to really help them make that transition away from cigarettes and then ultimately reduce their dependence. And because this is inhaled, when this is inserted in the base unit, you're also not only delivering the physiological aspects of uh, to alleviate the withdrawal symptoms, you're dealing with hand-to-mouth action, and and this actually can can replace the occasions that a smoker is used to. Um, you know, a lot of smokers, when you talk to them when they're trying to quit, they say, you know, my problem is I put a patch on, but I'm used to, you know, my first cigarette of the day is when I have my cup of coffee, and and. So the patch is giving a very low level of nicotine, but not enough to deal with their withdrawal symptoms. But then from a behavioral aspect, when they start drinking their coffee in the morning, their brain is triggering for, wait a second, this is when I get my nicotine. And now because we have a technology that allows that patient to take that dose exactly when they need it, they're dealing with both the physiological and the behavioral aspects. And, and this technology, um, you know, one can meet FDA CEDARS, you know, safety, safety standards um, and efficacy standards. And because we're delivering the, the drug, in this case, nicotine to the lung, the pharmacokinetics are such that we will still be delivering to the patient less nicotine than they had in a cigarette, but more than they get in a gum or patch. So then they actually have a fighting chance to break through, you know, on their own, th those last couple of steps of, of fighting through their withdrawal symptoms. So it's more of a, a peak and trough. When you take a suck on this thing, you're going to get some nicotine, right? Correct. In, into your lungs. And it's uh, monitored, it's titrated. So over time, each time you do that, you get a little bit less and a little bit less. But you won't necessarily, you won't feel it in the sense you're going to get the same amount of air nebulized coming in, it will just have less nicotine in it. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. In essence, how it's delivered is through, through a reduction in the available doses. So the device itself is programmed. So for a, a pack a day smoker who starts this therapy, when they go to their doctor and they get their initial prescription, the doctor will start them with 20 doses in a day to replace their 20 cigarettes. And then the device is programmed over the 12 week um, prescribed use regimen, the device itself will reduce the number of doses that they can use during the day. So then ultimately they can get to 19 to 18 to 17. At the end of the 12 weeks, their, their dependence to nic nicotine is diminished to the point that they can take that last step and become nicotine free. So you only get the uh, 20 uh, doses and then that's it. It, it runs out. Yeah. And the device has safety controls. So the patient can't use more than the prescribed dose. 
Um, and, and as you mentioned earlier, we're not yet approved by the FDA, but in our, in our discussions with FDA, you know, that is really important is how do we ensure that there's controls and protections? So, because again, this is delivering nicotine, um, that, that we're, we're, we're minimizing any abuse liability potentials while achieving the main goal, which is having someone who, who is just dealing with this burden and the struggle of their addiction, put down their pack of cigarettes and, and, work their way through the the cycle that's required to break you know their addiction to nicotine okay so let me ask you another question i know there's this thing and i don't know much about it called vaping right tell me just quickly what is vaping and how is your gadget different yeah no it's a great question so you know vaping or use of an e-cigarette uh, was a technology that came to the market, you know, back in 2015 or 2016, you know, as a tobacco product. And, you know, those products are, first of all, are regulated like a tobacco product by the Center for Tobacco Products at FDA. Um, and technologically speaking, um, what they do is they use a heating element, um, either a coil or, you know, um, a ceramic heater to heat a liquid which is then an aerosol, which is inhaled by a smoker. Now, those products are marketed um, as potentially replacements to cigarettes. And, and there's been a lot of conversation with the science about the what's called the relative risk of those products. Because I do think there is a lot of data that would say at an individual level, those products do have fewer carcinogens than a cigarette. And, and in engaging with FDA, those tobacco companies and e-cigarette companies tell FDA that this is a way to reduce the harm associated with smoking. But there's really kind of two problems with that. Um, actually, there's more than two. You know, the first one we all experienced, which was those some of those products came to the market and were marketed you know, irresponsibly. And we ended up with a youth usage epidemic, right? Where millions of kids got access to these products and became addicted to nicotine. So that's bad. Um, in addition, you know, those products, because they use a heating element and the ingredients they use are not designed to be, you know, medically safe, the, the user is still exposing themselves to carcinogens, although maybe less than in a cigarette, but they're still being exposed to carcinogens. And I think there's a lot of confusion about that. Um, and, and then, and, and the last piece is, you know, because of those two things, you know, really, and because of the lack of innovation of cessation therapies, those are kind of the products that are marketed as an alternative to smoker today, but they're not safe. And tobacco companies will tell you there is no safe tobacco product. So again, what's different about our technology is we have a formulation that's designed to be medically safe and a technology that um, delivers nicotine to the patient in a very controlled manner and frankly needs to be controlled, prescribed um, and monitored like medicine. And so those are the real differences um, with our technology versus you know, what people see as they talk about vapes or e-cigarettes. Okay, that's very, very helpful. Now, uh, to, to understand your, it sounds to me like your technology is basically a souped up computerized uh, asthma inhaler. Um, I mean, that's right. You're just taking that's, a big, a big breath of, of an active ingredient, but it's going to monitor it. It's going to titrate it over time. It's going to record it, but you're not getting any smoke, right? Correct. There's no smoke. You're just getting mist plus nicotine, right? <laughs> that, that's correct. And, and, and part of the challenge is, you know, if you think about, you know, the delivery of, of pharmaceutical ingredients to the body, 
Um, we're not delivering that buckley. We have, you know, we're delivering a particle size with aerosol characteristics to deliver that drug into the alveolar region of the lung, which is how we will, you know, believe we'll have better efficacy outcomes versus nicotine replacement therapies like patches and gums. And uh, I'm not saying you would recommend this, but I don't see a reason why it couldn't be used in addition to patches and gums if if there was an indication to do so. Well, you know, and, and again, it's a great question and really something that we would have to adjudicate with FDA. I mean, obviously, you know, our clinical plans, first and foremost, are really designed to um, we have a comparator product that we compare to that is an existing approved uh, prescription NRT um, and other over-the-counter therapies is to demonstrate the, the, the safety and efficacy relative to those therapies. You know, but in the world of you know, smoking cessation therapy and actually in practice, you, know, you, you see that you know, um, tobacco addiction specialists, there's a lot of a lot of work in the in the in the in the you know research arena around how do you couple all the existing therapies together, you know what's the right intervention point, what is the right um, you know cessation support emotionally that people need to have to have better outcomes. But for us, really, it starts first and foremost with we have a you know we're kind of following the path paved by you know previous nicotine replacement therapies, so proving efficacy alone. Um, and the existing therapies, the efficacy is somewhere between four to 7%. Our goal is to have dramatically higher efficacy rates alone. And then really doctors, um, doctors can make those decisions with their patients to say, what is the right combination of therapies and support that their patient needs to be successful um, and ultimately quitting. Now, is efficacy defined as the percentage of people who want to stop smoking, use your device, and then stop smoking for ever or six months or however long you guys could afford to continue the study? How, how did that work? Yeah, so ultimately, you're, you're, the endpoints are what you described. So is the, the number of patients that complete the 12-week therapy um, at the end of 12 weeks, then there is a monitoring process to, to using both CO2 as a biomarker um, and self-reported um, abstinence to demonstrate that they have stayed tobacco-free at the end of the 12 weeks, and then also with reads out to 24, potential, 24 weeks and potentially further post the end of the study. Um, you know, how long that, that, that kind of post-study monitoring stays in place will be something we finalize with FDA before we begin our phase three human clinical. Um, but you do need to demonstrate that, that there's abstinence post that therapy and CO2 monitoring is the biomarker that FDA looks for there. Explain that CO2. I know I thought carbon monoxide went up, but CO2, carbon dioxide oh. is also. No, uh... see, I'm, I'm not the scientist. You're right. It is carbon monoxide, not carbon dioxide is the, is the biomarker. Um, but you are correct because when you smoke a cigarette, that does affect the carbon monoxide um, levels, um, you know, as you exhale. Right. And if, for if there are any non-medical people uh, watching, uh, carbon monoxide's bad. <laughs> that's what that's what you breathe in when your house burns down and you end up in a coma at the hospital. So uh, you know, just voluntarily, you know, sucking in carbon monoxide just doesn't really seem to be the way to ideal way to start your right. day from at least a a health 
uh, point of view. So when you guys were brainstorming this, because uh, one of the things we've hinted at, that addition to the physiologic uh, uh, dependence on nicotine, there is a psychological addiction that goes along with, uh, as you say, having a cup of coffee. Well, what happens next? Or stepping outside for a coffee break or a cigarette break, right? Everybody knows it used to be something called a cigarette break. I'm going to go have a cigarette break until they said you can't smoke anymore in the office. And, you know, you find people a block away on the corner, right? There's still a few uh, holdouts. So did anybody talk about, well, let's make this thing look like a cigarette? Could you do that? You know? So, uh, so actually, you know, we're really guided by what patients, you know, what do patients want and need to want to use this therapy once it's approved and to stick with it. And actually what's really interesting from the patient perspective, um, you know, they want this to look very different than uh. a cigarette because, you know, if you, if you put yourself in their shoes, you know, when you're in your job and you used to take your smoke breaks, well, you need to be able to use this in your office and, and you need to be able to tell your boss, hey, I'm not vaping. This is my medicine, right? So the device itself, what they want is they want to be handheld and portable, um, but they also want to be clearly distinguishable from, you know, the analogs that exist today, whether it be e-cigarettes or cigarettes, because they don't want to be, you know, branded as a smoker. They don't want to be branded as a vapor. They, they, they want to be confident in themselves and they want to be able to tell their friends, their colleagues at work, their bosses, hey, this is my medicine. And this is what's helping me um, stop smoking. Um, so, so really that's all part of our human factors work we do with patients and, you know, in the design of the de device, you know, the device has an LED screen that reinforces key information to the patient throughout the day. Um, you know, how many doses do you have left? It can give them, it, it tracks and stores all the data through the entire 12 weeks. So on day seven, you'll get a message on your device saying, great job, you're one week, you know, mm -hmm. smoke free. All of those factors are really driven by, you know, the research of the patient and what is the patient looking for to have this therapy, you know, be something they can use and stick with for the full 12 weeks. Uh, where are you now in the FDA approval process? Yeah. So uh, currently we're advancing to what's called our IND submission, which we will make later this year. Um, and then from that, we will begin our human clinical studies. So we have to run through a phase one, two, and three um, study plan with FDA, which was mapped out in our, what's called our pre-IND engagements. Um, and our goal is that we'll be in a position to submit our NDA with our pivotal clinical data in 2025. Okay. So a good two years of uh, finding patients and implementing protocols. How many patients ideally do you have to, for phase three? Um, how many patients ideally would use this device, I guess, versus a placebo device yeah. or how yeah, are you going to do it? 500 is in our discussions with FDA to date has been the target for that phase three pivotal um, 500 subjects in the kind of test in the, in, in the control arms. Well, there's plenty of smokers out there. So uh, it, it may be hard to find the, uh, the control subjects. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess all of the subjects would be smokers, right? And some would get placebo and some would get the active in, ingredient. Correct. You don't, you don't really need uh, healthy uh, people. Wow. Well, uh, good luck. 
I mean, uh, 2025 could have a new a new gadget. You Bluetooth it to your phone. It's like, oops, you missed a day. You know, no more cigarettes for you. And um, how often do patients in this 12 weeks, will they come in for carbon monoxide monitoring at any point just to kind of double check what's going on with them? Um, in the in in the clinical study or or in practical use, I guess in the clinical study because you want to make sure that they're not cheating, right? right? Well, in 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 the clinical study, um, you know there there will be you know there will be monitoring throughout the twelve weeks as well to, to ensure that you know the the self reported abstinence is is also being you know evaluated with biomarkers. So that will that will be part of the entire clinical plan. Um, through the use as well. Sounds exciting. Brian, is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap up? No, I mean, I think the, the only thing I'd like to add is kind of where we started, which is, you know, we're just one company in this space. And, and you know, from the perspective of trying to end the world's leading cause of preventable death and disease, I think what's really important is, you know, we as a society and policymakers broadly need to not only focus on what are the new regulations right, um, on tobacco products to make them less accessible, to inform people of the risks and make sure people don't pick those products up. But we need to have an environment, not just from companies like Cunovia, but also other companies to be developing those therapies to help those patients stop. And that's really the, the, the gaping hole, right? There hasn't been an innovation since in the last 15 years in the space. And, and I think that's a failure on all of us. So my hope is that not only our company, but lots of companies will really make this their mission because um, that's how we'll we'll solve the problem. Sounds very promising. Brian Quigley, thanks for joining me on The Art of Medicine. I'm Dr. Andrew Wilner. See you next time. Before we close, I'd like to give another thanks to our sponsor, locumstory.com, a resource where providers can get real unbiased answers about locum tenants. This program is hosted, edited, and produced by Andrew Wilner, MD, FACP, FAAN. Guests receive no financial compensation for their appearance on the art of medicine. Andrew Wilner, MD, is Associate Professor of Neurology at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center, Memphis, Tennessee. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on this program belong solely to Dr. Wilner and his guests and not necessarily to their employers, organizations, or other group or individual. While this program intends to be informative, it is meant for entertainment purposes only. The Art of Medicine does not offer professional financial, legal, or medical advice. Dr. Wilner and his guests assume no responsibility or liability for any damages, financial or otherwise, that arise in connection with consuming this program's content. Thanks for watching. For more episodes of The Art of Medicine, please subscribe. www.andrewwilner.com